0: i Ayushi Mona, and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature. And we speak to authors who bring this to life. O Rama, son of fortunate Kaushalya, the eastern twilight is breaking. Arise, O tiger among men, the daily morning rituals need to be performed. With these stirring lines begins the near ubiquitous Hindu prayer, the Venkatesha Suprabhatam. An appeal to the Lord to arise and save the world, the Venkatesha Suprabhatam is the first of four recitations that are sung together every morning in the Lord Venkateshwara temple in Tirumala where it was originally sung. Whether you've grown up listening to the Suprabhatam or are just curious about these matters, the book and this podcast is both scholarly and yet accessible that describes this compelling examination of the cultural phenomena of this prayer. Author Venkatesh Parthasarthi lives in Bangalore and is interested in the history of peninsular India and is a student of Sanskrit. Hello, this is Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Book, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature. Today I have with me author Venkatesh Parsasarthi who's written a delightful little book called Venkatesh Suprabhatam, the story of India's most popular prayer. The book's published by Westland and is part a translation of a 14th century Vaishnavite devotional morning prayer, in part a brief biography of its composer and the story of its association with the temple in Tirupati and finally how this composition has become the Vaishnavite's register through M.S. Lakshmi's voice and become so ubiquitous. Welcome to the show Venkatesh.
1: Good evening, thank you very much and happy new year to all
0: happy new year venkatesh so venkatesh um, the first question really is why did you decide to write this book and what really was the genesis behind the idea uh, of writing a book um, about venkatesha suprabhatam see the venkatesha
1: suprabhatam is very ubiquitous as a morning prayer you will hear it in many places and sometimes very surprising you will hear it in tea shops and you will hear it from passing cars in South India. I mean, it's extremely well-known. It's played every morning. And I myself personally held, heard it in places which are not typical at all. I mean, uh, I do mention in my book that once I heard it in the middle of the desert in Rajasthan, between Dekaner and Sri being played in the cab of a Tamil Nadu truck. So it's a very ubiquitous hymn. It's a prayer. It's been well-known for a very long time. A few years ago, when my father was turning 80, I thought I would do a small translation as a gift for him. And when I started translating it, I realized that there were lots of nuances which I wanted to know more about, not for writing any book at that stage. So I just started researching more. And the more I researched, the more I realized how much more there is to read about it. And I kept doing that. And beyond a point, this took a journey of its own. You know, multiple research paths emerged. I wanted to put this whole process to rest. So I spoke to some friends to see if I could get some editor to help me a series of happy accidents, I landed up with Westland who agreed to publish this other book a couple of years ago. Last two years, giving a shape to this book and uh, it got released in November 2020.
0: Oh, wow, oh, that, that's lovely. You know, I was going to ask you a very uh, sort of interviewer, interviewee kind of question next but I'm very curious to personally know how did your father uh, respond uh, to your project really? Did he enjoy reading the book?
1: Oh yeah, he's delighted. He loves it. Uh, so he liked it uh, very much and he's read it quite a few times he's very happy but the whole idea beyond a point was not to was to write a book which would appeal to other people, younger people also I've got a very young son so I'm hoping when he becomes slightly older this would be something which he'd like to read to so it's not just for people with the I mean it's also for people who are young and who are growing up listening to it So, whether you are a very old listener of the Suprabhatam, or it's somebody who is just finding it for the first time, I hope the book is useful to both.
0: That's that's great, actually. And um, as a reader, I was struck by the fact that uh, one often reads, you know, memoirs and biographies of places and people, right? One scarcely ever reads a biography of a prayer. And the notion was so novel um, that i was intrigued uh, by the premise of the book in the first place that that's another question did you have as an author while you were researching other biographies of similarly intangible things that you read in the process or, or or you came across was your research process very centric to oh um let me deep dive into this but i and i will just write of this in a matter of fact way or was or were you at any point of time inspired by similarly you know intangible stories
1: uh, are i must compliment you among Whoever I've spoken to in the last two months about my book, you are the first who has, in some sense, caught the essence. This is a biography of a prayer. It's actually a biography. So I must compliment you on that insight. That is what we felt, both me and my editor. And I must tell you, there were a lot of false starts. As you can imagine, it's difficult to find a narrative thread. And you being an experienced uh, member of a book fraternity will realize that getting a narrative thread is often difficult. And in a topic like this is... It's very, very difficult. So there were a lot of dead ends to tell you, to cut a long story short. The current shape of the book is completely different from the proposal that i had given to Westland initially as uh, what my book would be. There were lots of struggles. There were lots of uh, information which I could not get, which I thought I would get. Uh, Finding evidences is always going to be difficult in India, historical evidences, and more so in a case like this. In fact, uh, early 2019, the person whom I consider the greatest authority on the subject told me that... uh, You've taken on some form of a mission impossible because this is a tradition for which evidences are very, very few, if they exist. It is a ritual which is conducted in secret and it is a composition for which nobody will tell you the... So I told her, look, I'm only looking at an external biography and I'm not kind of getting into the metaphysical or religious aspect. She still was quite skeptical, but she went out of her way to help. I, 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 I just plunged in and I just read, read whatever I could. Uh, you are right to ask me if there was any other inspiration. See, in India, very I mean, and even abroad, there are very few works where people have written about a prayer or a ritual. Very few. Fortunately for us in South India and particularly for the Tirumala Temple, uh, where the Venkateshsha Prabhatam was originally composed, there are many people who have studied it. So there were a few works. The work which came closest was... Uh, Written by a gentleman called S. K. Ramchandra Rao, who is a very famous savant, very very famous scholar in South India. A work called the Hill Shrine of Venkatam, which does exactly what the Venkatesha Prabhupada does in a somewhat different way. So there is a uh, there is a poem which has been I mean I I don't know I don't know when it's been composed, which describes the step by step path of a pilgrim as he walks from Tirupati up the hill to Tirumala and goes into the temple. It's called the Venkatesha Seva Krama. So what uh, Professor Rao did was he followed this. He took step by step, described, it's a Sanskrit poem, it's a very long poem, and he described step by step what was seen by the poet and what was now seen by him. And that's an extraordinary work. So to some extent, I was inspired by that. But I was only inspired post facto. in the sense I saw it quite some way into my research. I had already decided that I would write a kind of external biography and uh, you know uh, the history of the recitation. And I must tell you, this wasn't something which was predetermined. This was a process of trial and error because a lot of research leads which I wanted to pursue, which I was not able to. Beyond a point, uh, I mean, I kept going up and down. Finally, I told my editor who was broad-minded enough to take my suggestion that, look, why don't we just do the recitation of history and see if we can find something interesting?
0: Very interesting. And in fact, uh, for those of you listening to the podcast in in the introduction, right, I think the first things that that I remember reading was, and which at least helped me um, sort of get an understanding of the perspective from which I should be reading this book, is that the uh, book really deals, and and I could sort of sense, Vankertesh, and this is again my perspective as a reader, the struggles one has when you're not just dealing with words of such power words of where literal meanings are not adequate at times where uh, you have to where there's so many implications of you know what you call metaphysical and uh, philosophical digressions right which is for religious teachers to expound on really and the struggles of course which you just mentioned in terms of bringing the book to life for uh, i think any lay person who is the reader of your book that really helps because it helps set expectations oh that i'm going to be reading about this i'm not going to be reading this prayer to say have a deeper understanding of anything but but very ironically you know it is even in an external biography and even when you leave metaphysical and the philosophical it does help you achieve an understanding which is spiritual in its own way and and i think therein lies the beauty of the book i i'll tell you when i, I uh, received the book from westland I, I posted it on on my social media and a lot of people pinged me and said oh you're you're uh, going to be reviewing a religious book and I <laughs> hang on uh, i'm not reviewing this from a religious perspective but, but reading the book is actually a spiritual experience even
1: without really directly being a, a religious experience well i mean yeah it's uh no, i don't know see i i'm not a religious person myself at all nor do i claim to be and as i mentioned in my book uh, a lot of the stuff about the book is for traditional and religious teachers to guide people who wish to be so guided but yeah i wrote it from a perspective that if uh, a lay person were to read it like myself and i i'm the target customer of the book and my wife and my son and my friends and people, so they should relate to it enough in, in what I thought was a was the spirit in which the composer composed it. see because it has been composed by somebody who was a who himself was an extraordinary person it was composed circa fourteen twenty fourteen thirty the early fifteenth century the the teachers who went be before us were all people who were fairly broad minded their whole uh, outlook in life was let's try to explain things to people simply and let's look for analogies in nature so that uh, we don't have to complicate things you know for everything we give people analogies from everyday life and analogies in nature so they can keep a ready frame of reference for anything we're saying that is what we can learn from those people so when i looked at their lives their lives have been a lives of struggle you know they've had a lot of difficult times but this was their broad they were very broad very humane they were not sectarian they had no nothing about circumstance of prayer you know of birth. There were very broad-minded people who were trying to deliver a universal message. So uh, the least one tried to do, and I don't know whether they done it properly or not, is to keep that spirit intact.
0: Wonderful. venkatesh your book also takes on the structure of a suprabhatam itself because a suprabhatam is supposed to have four sections and your book too has been similarly organized into four subdivisions. The first of course traces the evolution of the worship of Lord Vishnu. The second is about the life of the composer. Third is from his time period right so this is pre-independence and all of these have, uh, the fourth is post-independence and it's woven into stories of the region, teachers, composers, etc. However, I would actually like to first ask you about MS actually means Ren Edition because for a lot of us, like, I am North Indian and I, of course, first heard rendition on YouTube, given my demographic. But how uh, does the popularization of a prayer in the voices of an artist affect The experience of it, right? Because there is a certain custom that's so in built around a superabatum.
1: No, look. So thing in this system is there is it's a system which evolves. Okay, so this has to that is, and if you, I mean, you're very familiar with my work and you've laid it out very nicely. And as you can see. The system has evolved with the times. You have to keep changing with the times. All traditions have to evolve with the times. They have to remain relevant. So while the Suprabatham was a semi-private recitation done in the temple at the turn of independence, the authorities in the temple also realized that, look, they need to reach out to more people who may not perhaps be able to come to the temple every day. So even before Supra, MS subalakshmi uh, took on the recitation, there was a recording done by the traditional reciter in Tirmala and I've spoken about him and his life. But uh, see, all India, around the time of independence, India was also finding new things about itself which it liked. And one of the things that it liked, apparently, was All India Radio. And All India Radio was under the charge of this gentleman called Mr. P. Keskar, who wanted to use the radio to showcase a lot of things which he felt were great about Indian culture. And he thought classical music was one such aspect. So he went and requested all the greatest classical musicians who were then there to come and start performing on the A. I. R. Around the time the recitation of the Suprabhatam, the recording was also becoming popular, and of course, Lord Venkateshwara has been everybody's favorite god for far so many millennia. They decided, A. I. R. decided that a hymn which was so loved had to be recited by a singer who was as loved and beloved as Varadharatna M.S. Subbalakshmi. So they requested her, and she started the first broadcast in 1958. and it became a very famous radio broadcast. It was first a radio broadcast. And uh, they started beaming it out of various radio stations, including out of Bombay, because someone I know who was growing up in Maharashtra in the early 60s remembers listening to it in the morning. And by 62-63, HMV, who were the music company, decided that they should have a proper recording. So they uh, requested her. So she practiced very hard for it. She practiced nine months for it. And along with her daughter, Mrs. Radha Vishwanathan, they practiced regularly three to four days, four hours every day uh, for nine months. And this was not as, as easy, easy as it sound because Mrs. Vishwanathan was uh, delivering a child at that point, but they just stuck to it. HMV also put their best foot forward and they deputed the leading sound engineer in India, the gentleman called Mr. Sen, to come and do the recording. And this recording was done perfectly in the first take. I mean, they recited it once and it was perfect. But still, to be safe, they did a second take. So, this had two initial recordings. And it was released in 1963 at the Radio Sangeet Sammelan. AIR has the Sangeet Samilan every year. Used to. Uh, I don't know about now. It was released by President Radha Krishnan. And uh, I mean, he was trying to help the country recover from the trauma of an earlier Chinese aggression. He articulated a lot of lofty ideals, which were all uh, true. But the fact of the matter is that listening people just loved it. And that's because NSMA brought her own particular brand of service and devotion. For her, a lot of these things were basically in, in the in the manner of service, uh, what is called Bhakti Baba. So she had infused that into this. So it became a great hit. And through the 60s, it just became more and more popular as a recording. And then people started relating to it in different ways. Someone in Rajamandri in South India started painting each verse. And he did that. Uh, this became a best-selling record. I mean, it started being given away free with any two-in-one that you bought. And by the 90s, this is just uh, one of the largest selling non-music records ever.
0: In fact, that anecdote where I think uh, you you go around in that cafe in Bangalore asking people and, and almost everyone hears it.
1: <laughs> no, no, actually, that's how we arrived at the title of the book. The, as I told you, the book has undergone a lot of, like our many aspects of the tradition which have to evolve. This book has also evolved a bit, and the current title got no relation to what the original title was, which was approved by Westland. We thought that the original title was not really conveying the mood so there's a friend of mine who's a reasonably well known journalist. He and I were sitting in the cafe having coffee, and he hadn't heard about it though he is a his mother is a South Indian, and he like me, grew up in Delhi, so he had no clue so he said, kya hai? I said Boss, bada, famous. He was a very, very famous prayer. So he actually got up and he walked around the cafe and asked everybody, have you heard the venture Tuprabad? And said, of course, what are you asking? And in the third or the fourth table, guy actually sang out the first two to him. He said, we should listen to it every day. They were shocked. He came and said, yeah, boss, listen. just keep it simple and just keep the title like this. So I said, "Okay." So yes, it is very popular. It continues to be very popular. And the service in Tirumala is now... You can only attend this service, the Suprabhat Seva, by a lottery. It's not an easy lottery to win, I must tell you, because the number of people who apply for those few places are huge, it must be many, many thousands. It is a very popular service, yes.
0: Wonderful. In fact, um, I think it, it's section one now, if I'm not mistaken, where in your book, uh, Venkatesh, where you talk about the whole idol of Lord Venkateshwara at and and how and the background for it being self-manifested, how it came to be there, um, and the origin story. How much uh, of the the Vedic and Puranic sort of context that you give in the book is something that you sort of knew already? How much research did you really do? And and what were you most fascinated, uh, you know, in your findings?
1: Okay, so Ayushita, one thing we're all very fortunate about as far as the Turmala Temple goes, is it is one of the most studied, I mean, and researched religious establishments, I would say, in the world. So generations of scholars for the last hundred years have done so much great work about many aspects of it. And the history of Turumala Temple has been written with great authority by a number of people from different perspectives and different sources. And all these books are available in the public domain. So really, for the history of the Turumala Temple itself, you don't have to do a lot of, I mean, you don't have to do any primary research. Because there are lots of secondary sources available. Similarly, for his, for you know, the history of Vaishnavism, the lives of the Alvars, the lives of the Vaishnava acharyas, and all are all topics which have been heavily researched, studied, and commented with great authority in the last 100 years. I mean, some of the greatest scholars in the land have written about it. So that part is, uh, I mean, was, I wouldn't say difficult, in the sense that uh, it's all been done by somebody or the other. The life of the Talapaka family itself is of a PhD. A very authoritative phd by a foremost scholar who's still alive fortunately and who guided me uh, what was so therefore a lot of material was not difficult to access what was not easy to access is evidences of the recitation of the hymn, uh, of the prayer and for which i had to do a bit of work and the kind of things i did was i looked at all of as many manuscript copies of the prayer that i could collect to see if i could find something in the colophones. and uh, again Perhaps my shortcomings, see, I'm an amateur. Okay. You need to be something of an epigraphist to really crack this. So I haven't found uh, much evidence in the manuscripts that I have looked at, but I've not looked at the entire universe. I'm sure there are lots of other manuscript copies around. And because our manuscript corpus itself in our country is like, uh, runs into millions of manuscripts, right? So there must be manuscript copies of the Venkates of which will give greater insight into its history. There are records of various people who administered the temple. So, the Vijayanagar kings, as long as they were administering it, they used to do these inscriptions, which means they would dig a, they would would carve something into the walls or do copper plates. So, those inscriptions for the Tirmula temple are again very well studied, and there's a whole book, series of books which have been brought out by the TTD. So, I was able to access that and I looked at those. But after the Vijayanagar kings declined, which is the period from 1640 onwards, Till the modern independence era, the, there was again uh, we had to work hard to get those evidences, and there are very few. There was the Maratha Sarkar also ruled Turmala for a bit, and so I'm sure they have records, they have written records about what happened in Turmala. I was not able to access one work, I'm still trying to do that so people could look at that. Uh, the Golconda Sultanate used to administer Turmala, and maybe they have some records, I don't know. The East India Company definitely did write a report on the Tumula temple and uh, I have used that as evidence in some of the things I've spoken about and after that till the independent there were records and there was uh, the stray records so I used all those so that part is a very fascinating aspect and that was something which I had to kind of do because nobody had done that earlier part I found most fascinating throughout are the stories of the people who kept this as a living tradition all these years whether it was those people who used to recite it every day in the old days or, you know, first of all, the composer who composed it, then the people who kept it alive as a tradition all these years. And today in all our manuscript repositories and libraries, the staff is just looking after the manuscript. You know, so I think if we have to celebrate, protect traditions, we have to look after the people who are protecting the tradition. So for example, the blue color staff, I mean, the, in, in various libraries, they're doing an extraordinary work, looking after the manuscripts, keeping them clean. Trying to see that the termites don't eat them. So these are the unsung heroes of our traditions and our cultures. These are the people I'm fascinated by, or the people who used to recite the Suprabatham. And you know, the Tirumala temple was always did not always have a great time. There were times were good, then there were bad times also. But regardless of that, a group of people kept this tradition alive. So we have to. I find them inspiring
0: is a sequel in the offing <laughs> around uh,
1: around these unheard uh, and unseen voices. Ma'am, uh, the thing is, uh, a lot of these narratives can't be forced; they have flow. So, in my own case, in this book, it is actually a series of happy accidents. I didn't even start out writing a book, as you know. I, mean, I have no background as an author or a historian. I'm just a lay person. And, uh, so, beyond a point, I think uh, one has to go with the, one has to try to do a good job you're doing it so that's all i mean i tried to do it whether i did or not i don't know you try to do a good job and be on a point if the story is meant to be told it will get told that's what i believe so yeah i'm not seeking to i am interested in these kind of topics i'm interested in the history of peninsular india and i continue to research a lot as much as i can in these areas uh, who knows
0: <laughs> no I think uh, as a reader I would say that I enjoyed reading the book so uh, while it might have been a series of happy accidents it has made its way into a book to be cherished and um, and I would also say one of those rare books that you would very happily want to gift to people and and this is uh, of course has in our heads right I'm always a little confused about what to gift to people from you know because most non-fiction uh, published in India is either very stupid toward business and management books right or skewed towards uh, mostly biographies of people etc that this book is is a is one of those rare non-fiction books that delves into things yes of course from a historical perspective from a cultural perspective but i think it makes for a good gift because someone can read this uh, book coming in from multiple perspectives right as you know You can read this as somebody who's a devotee, you can read this as somebody looking to understand this intellectually or just even looking to visit Tirumala, you know. And the fact that you weave this with your personal history, right? I mean, you talk about your mother's memories of uh, the Suprabhata Seva in the 70s. And of course, the fact that you've written this for um, your loved ones actually makes this even more special, I would say.
1: Thank you. I'm glad you found this, found multiple things to relate in it. And uh, I'm sure that the spirit in which the composer composed also, because he he was a great saint, he would have uh, done it out of a sense of deep empathy. And he would have wanted as many uh, people as possible to have liked it. So I think if that is the spirit you have captured in, I think that's what the composer wished of the prayer. I mean, I can't claim to do anything, to have done anything dramatic, as I, as you know, i just stumbled on it. If the prayer appeals to you, it has to be a lot to do with the, with the genius, M.S. Amma and M.S. Sublakshmi and all those who kept it alive as a living tradition and the fact that whoever has composed it and kept it going also have been saved. So I think it's a combination which does its own thing. So I don't have to add
0: to it. Oh, wonderful. And, and I think that the way you've broken down verses right? and, and and for people listening into the podcast, right? The, the, the verses describe every single aspect, uh, so oh, they take in on everything from, say, what the mount of Lord Venkateshwara is to, and for those of us, you, you know, while I mean, everyone has had some learning for Sanskrit in school, right? While we bro- it's all lost to us, right? And and it was. It's only when, despite having heard the prayer multiple times, it's only when one goes back and and really reads it with such a detailed explanation does one sort of start grasping at the largeness of of something that that merely sounds nice or is merely prayer, which we are conditioned to bow to.
1: Well, I suppose that's right. I mean, you're right. Uh, I mean, you can engage with the. The prayer at many levels, as I've also mentioned in my book. And uh, the beauty of the soul system is that uh, each person is allowed to engage with aspects at their own level. You can engage with it as just a morning prayer or you could dive dive into it in a far, far uh, greater degree. There is no prescription. I mean, it's up to each individual on how they deal, deal with it.
0: True. So, um, Vengatesh, I know you are an avid uh, caller, not perhaps by work, but you're interested in the history of peninsular India. What are some books that you would recommend to the listeners um, that they could pick up, either while you list an exhaustive bibliography in the book itself, are there some books that you think that people should read to get a better idea of Peninsular India or Sanskrit or the prayer? I think we'd all get a lot of value from your reading recommendations.
1: No, so look, so first of all, I'm not an avid scholar. I mean, those kind of adjectives don't apply to me. I'm a lay person like you all. The standard work, of course, are by a gentleman called Neil Kanta Shastri, which is around seventy, eighty years ago. It gives you a bird's eye view of the history of Peninsular India. The standard history is uh, of uh, the Tirumala Temple. The latest one was written around 1980 by Mr. Ramesan who was uh, retired a very senior uh, government officer. He was an IS officer. And he was also in his time the executive officer of the TTD. So he would have access to records that others probably won't. So as far as the history of South India goes and the history of the Tirumala Temple goes these are two books. For those who want a serious dive I mean serious uh, Look at aspects of the Tirumala Temple. There is this extraordinary work by Dr. M. S. Ramesh, and she is currently one of the leading scholars in this topic alive. It's called the Festivals and Rituals of the Tirumala Temple. I mean, but it's a difficult. It's a tough. It requires you to engage with it. Okay, uh, that's that book. And as I've, I've already mentioned, the hill shrine of Venkatam, which is quite ex- I mean, amazing. So as you're walking up the hill, the author is talking about. What someone wrote a few hundred years ago and what the current situation is so this was again written a few decades ago so that itself has changed but i mean i found that interesting but as i said these are all personal biases uh, fortunately for us all these topics whether it's the history of peninsular india or the history of turumala or various aspects of it are all very highly researched and lots of books are available plus as i said uh, of over the last 10 years, there are many history enthusiasts who are writing some wonderful books on various historical topics, not just of peninsular India, but of other parts of India. So I think uh, really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not an expert at all. So I shouldn't even be making a recommendation. And what I mentioned are the standard works of reference. So you'll have to excuse me. you know. I mean, I, I'm not an expert to kind of recommend one thing or the other.
0: Thank you so much, Venkatesh. And and thank you for sharing these recommendations and sharing your time with us. To everyone listening to the podcast, I hope you go and pick up a copy. Uh, The book is available at all independent bookstores near you. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Flipkart. Uh, You can follow Western across social media to learn more. As I also mentioned during the podcast, the book, would make for an excellent gift perhaps for your parents uh, just like Venkatesh wrote it for his father or uh, for your children if you want them to discover something or for really anyone else who'd be interested in the various inflection points that we spoke of in today's podcast uh, so do give the book a read and then grab yourselves a copy once again Venkatesh thank you so much for doing this with us
1: thank you very much Ayoshi uh, thank you for reading the book and thank you for speaking to me
0: Tune in to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Ghana and HT Smartcast.